Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host on Conversations with Cynthia. So I'm very glad that you're joining me today. And I hope that your week last week was well, went well, and that you've been able to practice some of those things we spoke about last week and the week before about being your own best version and how to take really good care of yourself. We really focused last week on those things you need to do every day that really help you show up as the best version of yourself. So if you missed that show, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to it there. And again, I want to remind you that we are working very diligently on getting these podcasts onto all these different servers, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, all of these different places. So I'll let you know when that's finally complete. And you can use whatever app you prefer to listen to your own podcasts. And you can probably find me on those. So I'll be excited to let you know about that information. So we're talking today, we're kind of doing what we did the last half of last week about habits that may make someone irritating without even realizing it. And that you may find yourself in some of these habits, and I don't want you to feel bad about that. We all do this to one degree or another. We all would like to think that we don't. But, you know, there's this tendency sometimes to not always be aware of ourselves. And we might see in someone else something super irritating. And we might want to say to ourselves, huh, I wonder if it's really irritating me because I might do the same thing. And so we're going to kind of talk about this Bible verse that I really, I really enjoy. And it is the one about the speck in your eye, uh, the speck in the other person's eye and the plank in yours. You know, you know that people might irritate you. And so you might want to ask yourself if you have friends or family members or, you know, people you work with, somebody, uh, maybe the checker at the grocery store, whoever it might be, your assistant, who knows, that you just kind of find annoying, you know, and it's tough because the Holy Spirit really did write the Bible to help us deal with irritating, annoying people. And that means that we need to learn if we're being irritating and annoying as well. And we need to be really brave enough to look at that and be willing to, to take responsibility for that and know that that has nothing to do with our value. It just has some to do with our effectiveness. It just affects the way people experience us. It doesn't m- mean that we are less valuable, that we are anything in a one-down position. It just simply means that we're not being our best version And so people aren't experiencing us probably the way we would like them to. And so we know the church in Philippi was really having some big people problems. And so Paul wrote a letter to address those concerns. And some of what I'm going to give to you is from out of uh, Shepherd Press, which I really like um, a lot of what they have written about. And so they're talking about this whole idea of irritating people and we have to really understand what that means. See, God wants you to consider that irritating, annoying people in your life is really being significant. 
and maybe even more important than you. And obeying God's command to do this, it may not make those people less irritating, but it will make your life better. And if there's any chance for them to be less irritating, the more supportive you are, the less reactionary you are, the better version you're going to get from them. And there's this tendency to think, well, if I don't say anything, or if I act like I enjoy them, or if I honor them or value them, then they'll do that behavior even more. Typically, what you'll find is a lot of those irritating and annoying behaviors that people do are out of nervousness, out of insecurity. Maybe they were taught that in their family. Maybe they're trying to empower themselves. Maybe they're trying to be assertive. There's a myriad of reasons as to why somebody may have acquired a really irritating, annoying habit. So let's put this in context. I like how they did this at Shepherd's Press. I like this analogy. And they say, you know, let's say the president of the company that you work in and work for is a really irritating individual. Well, let's think about what if the maintenance crew or the head of the maintenance department was also super irritating? Is there a difference in the way you respond to those individuals? Generally, I think we all would say yes. See, you might be really kind of grumpy and dismissive and, um, I don't know, snotty to the maintenance worker if they're irritating. But ask yourself, you know, would you act that way towards the president of the company if they were irritating? And we all know the response is no. You wouldn't be grumpy with the company president. He's the one in hires and fires. So he may be irritating, but we have made him more significant. Now, see, in God's economy, in God's eyes, everybody's horizontal. Everyone is of equal value. And so when uh, St. Paul writes about this, he says, consider others more significant than yourselves. See, you wouldn't fuss at the company president, right? You wouldn't, you know, take him to task. You wouldn't ignore him or roll your eyes at him or her. But you might do that to the maintenance worker, right? So this is where we want to think about interacting with people that might be bothersome. And you might want to say to yourself, you know, the more patient I am with irritating and annoying people, it's probably going to go well with me. I probably am going to be then getting better behavior back from a lot of other people. The more I practice that, the more it will probably return to me. So this is out of the verse, Philippians chapter 2. This is verse 3 and 5. And it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this because I, you know, I'm, you know what I do for a living. And a lot of my job is helping people value themselves. That's what we've been talking about on this show. So when we hear this, you know, put people above your own interests, right? Um, value others above yourself. Well, what is God really saying there? He's not saying that it's in a one-up position, that all of a sudden they are of more value than you are. What we're saying is we want to be kind, polite, considerate, long-suffering, easygoing, very um, flexible people 
that help people be the best version of themselves if they actually want to be and are trying to be. And so when I value someone, that means that I'm actually, in many ways, valuing myself. So I'm not devaluing myself. I'm simply saying, you know what, I want to exhort this person. I, have, I, I, I don't need them to necessarily exhort me. I really want to have a positive effect on them. And I want to overlook irritating and annoying behaviors. And there's a tendency for us in our culture, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to actually categorize irritating and annoying, frustrating behaviors as almost illegal, immoral, unethical, and dangerous because of the way it affects our well-being, our peace of mind. And we just need to be a lot more easygoing people. And that doesn't mean that we are lackadaisical. That means we don't snag on everything. I, I, I say to clients oftentimes, you know, you're like a walking piece of Velcro. You snag on everything. The sensitivity ratio is way too high. You're affected by everything. Let's smooth it down a little bit. Everything's not a big deal. There are so many things that are irritating, annoying, and frustrating that are passing. There are so many times you've experienced something irritating or frustrating, and today you can't remember it, if, especially if it happened five years ago. So this is where you want to get things in perspective. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I think this is really helpful for us in today's world. I mean, we just do this with driving. We, you know, we all want to act like we're the perfect drivers and get mad at all the people that are driving in a way that we don't want them to drive. And so we're looking at the speck in their eye when we've got a plank in ours. And so we want to really take into consideration this idea that we are all of equal value to God, no matter what station in life we're in, no matter how we look, no matter what our age is, no matter what we've accomplished, whatever money we have, whatever talents we have, no one person is more valuable to God than the other. He died for everyone, everyone. And this is imperative that we remind ourselves of this. So I want you to think about some of these bad habits, you know, that people do. So if we are looking at it in the context of the speck in the other's eye and the plank in your own, then make sure while you're listening to some of these bad habits, irritating and annoying things that people might do, that before you think about the person go, oh, yeah, so-and-so at work does that all the time. They drive me crazy. Before you go there, say to yourself, do I do that? Have I ever done that? Do I do a version of that? And so we ended up last week talking about this, this one about the telephone, right? Our cell phones. And finding the phone way more interesting than anything going on. Now, what would that be about? This is definitely one of the most common ones that we see today. And in fact, <laughs> recent research has really found that phone snubbing contributes to a huge lack of social skills, depression, and relationship problems. Because 
what we're doing is we're not practicing the skill of relationship. We're not practicing and honing our social skills because we don't have to. This is really, really imperative that you understand that texting, emailing, talking on the phone never is going to replace face-to-face communication because face-to-face communication requires all the senses are available. Your sight, touch, taste, hear, smell, right? All of those senses are being activated when we're doing face-to-face communication. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about these irritating and annoying habits that others do and maybe we do. Sunday. (laughs) Happy Sunday. I'm glad you're here today with me. And if you're just joining in with us right now, we are talking about those irritating habits that people do that they might not even know they do. And maybe we're one of those persons that does irritating and annoying habits. And we don't think they're as irritating and annoying when we do them. We just think they're irritating and annoying when the other does them. So we left off on this one. It's called phone snubbing. And this really does contribute to a great degree of lack of social skills, depression, and problems in relationship. It gives us a false sense of relationship when we are going through our phone and even texting and trying to, you know, respond to emails because it's not necessarily in current time. And if it is in current time, like text messaging or, you know, Marco Polo or any of these other, you know, apps that you have, it still isn't face-to-face. It still is happening mostly in our mind. We're not seeing the person in front of us. We're not experiencing the way their body moves. We're not hearing all the different vocal inflection, seeing what's going on in their eyes, seeing the shift that they have in their body language. And so this really has started to create a huge lack of social skills that people have because they don't have to. And they really don't know how they're coming across to other people. And it creates a lot of social isolation and it causes the world to not feel very friendly. And so we start to get a little bit more defensive as we go through the stores, we're in restaurants, the mall, wherever we're at, that we start to feel like, gosh, we're all sitting here close to one another, but nobody's talking to anybody. We're all staring at our phone. Now, I have a phone. I like it. I'm glad that that we have them and they're available to us. But it will never, ever take the place of looking at somebody in the eye and sharing the same time and space with them. So I want you to really think about that because what that leads to is this really bad habit of not being present. That may, And maybe you've experienced this. You're sitting there talking to somebody and all of a sudden you realize they're not really there. And you say to them, have, have you been listening to me? Are you following? Are you with me on this? And so part of what happens with all the technology that we have is it gives us this ability to kind of dissociate. So our body's here, but we're not really here. Or we're just barely checking in with the conversation every third or fourth word. And then we say, oh, wow, I I didn't catch that. Could you repeat that one more time? Because we're thinking about a whole bunch of other things. And whatever it is on our phone that we want to attend to, and whoever it is that we want to call, and whoever it is we think we're hoping to see. Instead of taking care of what's right in front of us, and honoring and valuing 
the person in front of us. And so technology definitely takes people's attention away from the current moment. And this is where we get really wrapped up in thinking about something else while someone is talking to us, right? And we, I mean, of course, we get distracted from time to time. But what's going on is it's happening more and more often. And people are barely checking in to the relationship and to the conversation. And so the best thing for people to do in this situation is to listen to the feedback. See, it never hurts for anyone to do some self-reflection, right? To see whether they are inadvertently taking part in those irritating habits. Because what do we all say to ourselves? Well, I don't do this very often, and this thing is really important. So I really need to address this. And thinking that, well, I can do it one, one or two times. I don't do it that often. One of the things we might say to ourselves is, unless it's an emergency, and we can tell what an emergency is. We can see it on the phone. Anything can wait. We have time. And we need to take advantage of time because what happens is time can never be brought back. Once that minute is gone, it's gone. It cannot be recaptured. So when we take advantage of the time that we are sharing with the person in front of us, it becomes much more meaningful. Both of us feel more valued. And what happens is we feel much more restored, much more replenished, and more human. And that's what is so powerful about remembering to stay present in the moment that you're in. I don't want you to have to revisit moments because you checked out. So think about this one, this next habit. This is a kind of really irritating habit, I think. This is forgetting to return things. You know, and this happens quite a bit. People constantly, you know, they borrow something from you and then they just kind of think... I should return that, but then they go, ah, they probably don't miss it, right? See, it's one thing to borrow a pen and forget to return it. But people notice when they don't even get small things back. They really do notice that. It is another devaluing behavior. And so it often really does leave the lender feeling negative about the borrower, that they were doing something out of the goodness of their heart. They were helping you in the moment you were in, and you took advantage of it and then just decided, well, I guess it belongs to me now. And I've really coached people frequently to look at what's going on at the end of the day. What do I still have sitting on my desk, in my handbag, in the car that I probably need to make a priority to return? And when you have someone that is constantly willing to, let, to help fill in the gap for you, and you don't return the object, or you don't even buy them a new one if you lost it. It's a very devaluing behavior, and they're going to get resentful, and they will be definitely annoyed. And all the great gifts that you have to offer that relationship will be seen through this clouded glass of you seeming selfish or not valuing the things that someone else owns. So let's think of another one. How about this one? Being completely unaware of other people's reactions. See, this is, again, being present, tuning into others so that we, we are able to read people's reactions. And people who come off as really annoying without meaning to are usually in their own world. 
and they're totally uh, uh, unaware of how they are being perceived. So they're sitting there with the whole entire group, but they're not even paying attention to so-and-so is crying in front of them, and everybody else is, is co commiserating with them. And you all of a sudden go, oh, uh-oh, what's going on here? This is super important. It also means you're just ignoring body language and facial expressions, that you just don't want to deal with it. So they may say to you something like, yeah, I've really had a hard time. My, my son is really failing in school, and I'm, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I mean, we've got to really get a handle on this. And the person that you say this to just stares at you and changes the subject because they just kind of don't want to deal with it. See, these are courtesies that we used to just expect from humans. So we've gotten really sloppy with social graces. And we want to be really careful about this because what that does is sends the message that you are not valued, that you are not respected, and that you don't deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. So when you do those behaviors to another person, you actually disrespect yourself. You actually demean yourself by acting in those ways because they're kind of shameful behaviors if you want to know the truth. They're just unkind. They're just selfish. They're maybe immature. All of us do them to one degree or another. So don't, don't think that I'm not talking to myself because I am. I can do these things as well if I'm not really paying attention and wanting to really take advantage of the time with the person that's in front of me. So this is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. We have a half hour more of really looking at irritating and annoying behaviors and how we can stop participating in those behaviors. Join me in the next segment. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy Sunday. And I am really praying that your week turns out to be a week that's highly productive, as well as maybe life-changing, and comes with some pleasantries. Because, you know, sometimes we go into the week and we're not feeling like we're really on top of our game. So we are taking time, a little bit last week and all of, of this week today, to talk about what are those irritating, annoying habits that we do that sometimes we don't even know that we're doing. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that either maybe we're checked out, we're not really tuned into ourselves, or we're believing our own intentions. And so we think because our intentions are good that the habit isn't as devaluing. So let's think about this one. I'm sure you've experienced this being judgmental, right? I'm sure you've been around judgmental people. And you feel like all of a sudden you're telling a story and they're looking at you like, well, that was stupid. Or did you not think about what you were doing? Or, wow, I never considered you would, you know, struggle like that. These types of things. And people often feel quite rejected when they're on the receiving end of judgment. And a lot of times the judgment can be felt by the person trying to help. So they may be jumping in while you're telling some mistake that you make and begin to tell you how to correct it or what you should have done, could have done. If you would have done this, then it would have been like this. And acting as if they have a handle on their life and they don't ever do anything wrong. So see, judgment can also come as a form of like a backhanded compliment. 
or like some tough love advice. And many times people really don't know what it feels like to receive that. And they don't know they're being insensitive. They don't know that they are kind of removing themselves from the relationship and now being a judgmental observer and making sure that they're now the teacher that's going to teach you how to do something right. Because I'll tell you what, most of us pretty much know when we mess up. We usually know when we've done something stupid. We usually know in retrospect that we would have done it a different way. So many times what we're wanting to do is just share our life with people, have people laugh with us at our mistakes, maybe join in and say, yeah, I've done some of that before. Gosh, this is the one that I did and I couldn't believe it, but I survived it. That's connecting. So we want to be careful, especially as Christians, that we examine our own behaviors. And that's why we spent some time with that Bible verse in Matthew that really talks about seeing the speck in the eye of your friend and missing the plank in your eye. So think about this idea, especially as Christians. Do we really need to be taught right and wrong? Do we really need to be told what we did wrong? And so this also sometimes turns into the person that's flaunting their knowledge to anyone and everyone, that wants everyone to know that they know everything. They have a solution for everything. They've read up about it. They have studied it. They have great ideas. Now, I'm telling you the truth. This is, this is me being honest with you. I probably can do that one. I don't want to think I can because I like helping people so much, and I have a really busy mind that's always thinking. And so I can offer lots of help, lots of uh, suggestions, lots of uh, different resources. And I have to be careful to make sure that the person actually wants some of that information, even though it's very well-intended on my part. And so that's why we really want to be careful that we check in with the other person and we find out, hey, what, what are they, what's going on with them? So they just told me they had this big, huge problem and they messed it up and they don't know what to do about it. Are they really asking for some advice? Are they asking for me to say, hey, I've got some ideas about that? Or you might just want to say, you know, do you want, do you want any you know, thought about that? Do you want any feedback about that? I know I've messed up before myself. And they may say, you know, no, I think I got it figured out. And they may say, yes, I do. Well, as soon as they really commit to you that they want the information, guess what? The information becomes helpful, not judgmental. So let's be very careful about recognizing the speck in someone else's eye and not even seeing the plank in our own. So we want to examine our own behaviors. And we want to say, you know, I am who I am. And I need to allow others to be who they are. If they want to change it, and if they want help, then I guess they're old enough to ask for it. So I have to be careful about offering too much. So let's think about this next one, trying too hard to be friends with everyone. Have you seen someone like that? Have you been that person? You know, the person that over-relates, that is always chiming in, always, you know, saying, oh my gosh, I know what that feels like. I know, what, I've been there, I've done that, and telling their own story. Well... We're going to talk about that on the other side of this, uh, this particular hour. And I think you're going to be kind of interested in what I have to say about this over-relating. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment.
Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And this is our last segment. And we are talking about irritating habits people might not even know they're doing. And I think it's going to, I think it's been quite helpful. It has been quite helpful for me to put this show together. And I have to be honest with you, you know, I just got done saying, hey, the one we just talked about, I can kind of do that sometimes, like being overly helpful or having a solution for everybody or a resource. And then, you know, this one about trying too hard to be friends with everyone, over-relating, you know, again, I'm telling you the truth, I might be guilty of this sometimes because I've had tons of life experiences and I like relating to people. So I have a tendency to want to say, oh my gosh, I have an experience just like that. Or guess what I did? And this is part of relating, but I have to be careful that I'm not invading that space. That I'm really respecting what they're sharing. And that I, I, and even though I know in my heart of hearts how interested I am in that person and what they're saying, they may not feel that way. So I have to make sure that before I start telling stories that relate to that, that are showing them how much I might have in common with them, I need to make sure that they feel very heard by me, that they feel listened to by me, and that they feel like I'm actually truly interested in what's going on with them versus just wanting to now talk about myself or something like that. And so many of us can do that, and this is why I want you to understand that many of these irritating and annoying habits that the majority of people have are really coming from a place of positive intention. It really is about wanting to relate, wanting to be in relationship, wanting to be a good version, wanting to be a good friend. So we want to not be super judgmental when someone's irritating us. We might want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, I wonder if in their heart they're thinking they're doing something good. I wonder if they're trying hard to be a friend to me. And that way, we can maybe more eloquently help them understand that it might not be helping us that well. So how about this next one? And I'm telling you what, this, this show is killing me today. Here's the next irritating, annoying, bad habit, and I have it as well. Being late. You know, my mother said to me, Cynthia, the only time you were early is when you were born. And that is true. <laughs> Anyone that knows me knows I struggle with time. I want to fit too much into it. I want to stretch it. I want to cheat it. And I have a tendency to be late. And some of that is because I get too over-invested in the moment that I'm in. And I don't want to end it. And I have a hard time wrapping things up. So I do know that I've been working on this and people have been noticing, which I'm very thankful that they're gracious to me. And they've been encouraging me to continue working on this lifelong struggle with being late. Now, it's not like an hour. It's chronically about five minutes late, maybe 10. And this is something that I know for me, I know my intentions are not negative. I don't feel like I'm, I'm something special and so everybody has to wait for me. I just know I'm trying to fit too many things in to too little of time. And I have a hard time ending things. So I have to be really careful and know that for some people, time is super important and it makes them feel so devalued. And it causes them to feel like I don't respect their time, that they made sure they were on time for me and I wasn't on time for them. 
So I can take responsibility for that without beating myself up. I know my intentions are good, but truly, can we always depend on good intentions? Sometimes you have to do good behavior, right? So regardless of my intentions, I need to get it right. And this is why we want to commit to those things. And people in my life know that I work on that. And they know that I know it and that I know that I have to work on it. So I'm always grateful for people that are encouraging to me that say to me like, hey, you are doing better or I know you tried. And, and so that keeps me continuing to work on that particular habit. And so this is why we want to ask ourselves, what might be some other reasons for being late? Am I procrastinating? Am I maybe not really wanting to do whatever it is? And so I'm coming late because I don't really want to do it. And maybe I need to be honest and turn down the event. Maybe I need to get ready the night before so I'm not scrambling at the last minute. Maybe it's an organization issue. So I'm not scrambling at the last minute to get everything together and hoping that I make every light on my way to work. Maybe I need to do better with boundaries and end conversations sooner and recognize that, you know what, I would love to spend another half hour here, but I do have someone counting on me to be on time. So we want to practice these behaviors. We want to put effort into to stopping these habits that put us in a one-down position and that might start the interaction off in a negative manner that causes us to have to spend time recapturing the moment instead of just showing up at the right moment. So let's look at this next one. Pen tapping, clicking, other nervous habits. People picking at their nails, playing with their hair, right? Tapping on the table, doodling, swinging their legs, rocking back and forth, whatever those things are, that still comes back to the issue of calm. Can I, as an adult, control my body? See, we teach this to little kiddos, right? In elementary school, we say, control your bodies, control your bodies, keep your hands to yourself, sit up straight, look me in the eye, put your feet on the ground. And every human has to control their body. Now, some have a little bit harder time than others. And this requires that I just relax. I slow down my breathing. I pay attention to what's being said to me, and I help myself focus instead of hoping it's over. Where's the waitress? When are they coming back? When's the bill coming? When are we going to get seated? Whatever that sense of urgency, we want to say to ourselves, I want to enjoy this event. I don't want to race through it. I don't want it to be the person that's not present because I've already left the event and my body is still here. So these take practice, and it takes also forgiveness of self. When we mess up, maybe we're not good at it. And it helps when we forgive ourselves to continue to work at that habit. So I frequently tell clients, and I practice this myself, if I'm having a hard time calming down inside or calming my brain down, if I'll just relax my body, then my body signals my brain to relax. If I purposefully talk slower, if I take some deep breaths, if I lower my shoulders, relax my face, I will be better able to stay present with calm. 
And sometimes it really does take practice. So this leads to a next one. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you do this. Maybe you've been told you do this. This is invading people's personal space. See, one coworker I know, they worked at this healthcare in the past and is super comfortable standing and talking inches from her peers in really quiet, hushed tones. Well, that's what that space was that she worked at when she was in healthcare. But what does personal space look like in a different culture? And when we talk about cultures, I'm talking about different professions. What does personal space look like if you, if you work in retail? Well, you might be seeing people undressed a lot. What does personal space mean if you're a hairstylist? What does personal space mean if you're a doctor? What if you're a lawyer, a teacher? What if you're a truck driver? How do I do personal space if I come in from being, uh, you know, on, on a tr in a truck for four days and I come into a restaurant? How do I reacclimate to being with people? So you want to make sure that if you're a very touchy, handsy person, affectionate person, that the people that you're touching appreciate that touch. Some people don't like to be touched. Some people don't like to be hugged. Some people don't like loud speaking. Some people yawn in front of people, right? So what can we do to make sure that what our body is doing, that we're controlling our body enough so it's not distracting to other people and it's not causing others to be uncomfortable because we are standing too close or we are standing too far. So let's think about this next one. And this is really, really important. This is about listening. And I want you to remind yourself of this saying that it is better to seek to understand than to be understood. And so this is a bad habit of not really trying to understand people, but racing to be understood. And that's not what interpersonal interaction is about. The interaction that we have interpersonally is about getting to know somebody else's world and understanding what's going on in their world. Hopefully, they'll be interested in mine. But if I'm truly acting as an adult... I don't need to be understood as much as a child does or a teenager does. So sometimes it might just be nice if I just say, you know, maybe this person's really having a hard time and they really need some time. Maybe I just need to focus on them. I don't think we should do that all the time. I don't think that makes for a balanced relationship. But sometimes some of the people that we're with really need some attention. And so we want to make sure that we're not fighting and vying for time. That we're really saying this is a give and take. And sometimes I give more and sometimes I take more. How about this? Being, being competitive, right? See, because being competitive leads to judge, judgmentalism, leads to condemnation, and leads to rejection. So when I have to compete with somebody all the time on who's funnier, who knows more, who's got a better story, who can talk louder, who can talk faster who's been to more places, we end up competing instead of sharing. So instead of getting to know one another and what each other's lives are like or what our lives have been like, we start one-upping and we start getting competitive. And you know what that leads to? That leads to not giving credit. That leads to 
taking credit for things that I haven't done? How about the person that embellishes? Now, I got to tell you, I am a dramatic person. And I kind of like to tell stories in ways that make them a lot more interesting and fun to hear. But I'm very careful that I don't embellish and that I'm not lying in the story. And that I'm giving people credit where credit is due, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be with my friends. And that I give credit publicly to people so that people know what, what the people in my life do for me because I appreciate it so much. How about this last one? Refusing to apologize or the person that says I'm sorry too much. Think about that. Am I saying I'm sorry too often or do I refuse to apologize or refuse to say I'm sorry and always want to give an excuse, always want to explain why whatever it was that I did wasn't right, but not wanting to just say, you know what, I'm sorry. That probably didn't go well for you. Or I missed the mark. Or you know what, I should have called you back and I didn't. And that's, that's on me. That's one of the things that causes people to feel more value than you could ever, ever imagine. So we're kind of at the end of our, our hour today, and I'm so glad that you joined me. I hope these have been helpful for you and that it gives you courage to look at bad habits you might do, irritating, annoying things you might do, and gives you courage to say, you know what, for my own benefit, and because God values me, I want to be the best version of me. So if I have these habits, if I have these tendencies, that doesn't make it criminal. It's not illegal. It's not immoral. It's just human. So let's be really amazing humans. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week as we talk more about being your own best version. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.